0: Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 29. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. And my guest this episode is my friend, Dennis, of the band Refused.
1: Can I scream? Damn! Yeah. We're back to Roger.
0: Last summer, Metallica were the recipients of the prestigious Polar Music Prize, an award previously bestowed on Sting, Paul McCartney, Quincy Jones, Elton John, Joni Mitchell, B.B. King, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and many other luminaries. Both Lars and Rob from Metallica were front and center at the very formal Black Tie event, which was also attended by the King and Queen of Sweden. Two of the guys from Deep Purple repaid the favor to Lars, who had inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And performances include Tobias Forge from Ghost, with some of the guys from one of my favorite bands of all time, Candlemas, performing Inner Sandman, and Dennis from Refused International Noise Conspiracy and Invasion, together with former Motorhead drummer, former King Diamond drummer, and current Scorpions drummer, Mickey D, the legendary Mickey D, playing Whiplash accompanied by a cello. Metallica donated the cash prize that comes with the Distinguished Award to their charity, All Within My Hands Foundation. Dennis filled me in on the behind the scenes of the festivities and, of course, his own personal relationship as a fan of Metallica. So here it is my conversation with Dennis from Refused. This is Speak and Destroy. One of the things I like to do with every guest on the show is to... Talk a little bit about, you know, your earliest musical experiences in terms of, you know, did you have uh, family members that were interested in music? Did you have a lot of music around the house? What was kind of some of your earliest exposure and and what things sort of turned you on that led you on this path?
2: Uh, My dad's a traveling salesman, and for a while he worked uh, uh, selling records, to like, I don't know, and so this is like the 70s, to selling records to uh, stores and stuff like that. And my dad was an avid, is listening to a lot of music. And um, so he had a good good record collection at home. And uh, my first uh, memory of uh, like getting into music was uh, 1980 when John Lennon got shot. There was all these um, articles about him in the newspaper. I thought he looked, they looked so cool, the Beatles. So my dad had the complete like Beatles discography, so that's what I got. In, that's how I got into music. John Lennon died, and I got into music.
0: <laughs> wow! The day, the day the music died was also the day it was born for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was a nice like. Uh, it, it's it's pretty awesome because I can look at the exact date when I when I started really getting into music.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, let me ask you this: uh, live, what were some of your first concert experiences?
2: Well, you have to realize I grew up in a small town in the north of Sweden. There was not a lot of options to see bands. Uh, but when I was, maybe I was 14 or 15, at that point I was into metal. So the first band, uh, one of the first bands I saw live was Meshuga. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> but it, so this is 1987 and
1: wow. they're
2: called, they're called, uh, they had a different name. But and they sounded like anthrax, like really kind of like uh, like that kind of
0: New York thrash. Like, like, remember, like 1987. Yeah,
2: not like yeah. 1987. Yeah. And and I remember seeing them uh, in my small hometown at, at like the you know uh, the, the people's house that it's called where where the the citizens' house where people can go and they have dances and they have shows and and there's a movie theater and and they played. And it was maybe six people in the crowd, and I was one of them. And we're sitting like at the, at the back end of the room in chairs. And Meshuga was like on the stage, and they did their thing.
0: And I was quite impressed, I must say. Wow, yeah. that, that's incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I believe 1987 was also 86 or 87. I think 87, uh, somewhere in there, 87, 88. That was uh, my first metal shows were. Right around that exact same time. Yeah, mine was Dio and Megadeth. And I was there specifically to see Megadeth. You know, if, if it were now, I'd be excited to see Dio as well. But at the time, I was full-on thrash metal. You know, everything else was poser. Dio yeah, yeah. was metal, as far as I was concerned. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then my next show was Megadeth coming back as a headliner with Warlock and Sanctuary as support. So, yeah, right around that same exact era. Um, You know, one, great. one thing that I've discussed often over the years uh, with friends and colleagues and so forth from Sweden, uh, I believe it was the guys from In Flames who first tipped me off to this in the 90s, that, you know, the public education system in Sweden, there's so much of an emphasis on music that those of us who grew up in the States wouldn't be able to comprehend. You know, I remember those guys kind of telling me that a lot, of, you know, a lot of those classic new wave of Swedish death metal bands formed in high school because they had access to equipment and, you know, class time where they could get together and and write music and things like that. Um, Could you tell me a little bit about that from your perspective and was that part of your experience as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, we have something in Sweden uh, uh, where you do study circles. There's like all these uh, different organizations and you do study circles and I remember when uh, when we got into I started my first band around 1987, and uh, I remember just going to one of those study circle organizations and said we started a band and they said all right you can have this practice space here's a PA just start practicing, so it was like in my mind I was like it was always easy to uh, to do music because you could borrow equipment you can borrow a PA you can borrow all the stuff and they gave us. A- uh, there's like this, in my, in my small hometown, there's like an uh, old deliberated house that was about to fall apart, but they had a couple of rooms where we, we could practice. So that, that's been, I mean, to this day, I kid you not, we do study circles, with refuse an invasion, which means that uh, we have a really nice practice space. We don't pay any rent, because we do study circles, and then they, they, they give us money to practice. Wow. So it's, a, yeah, it's a good thing.
0: It's yeah, a good that, thing. If ever there were an advertisement for listeners of this show for socialism, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might change some yeah. hearts and minds in the red states right now. Wait a minute. <laughs> Free music so. jamming? <laughs> yeah. um, oh, that's killer. Uh, so, of course, this leads us to Metallica. What was your first exposure? Uh, we'll start with the music, you know, the first time you got turned on to them.
2: I was into, like, metal. And... Uh, but I would say that that point, I mean, so this is maybe like 1985. So I was into like Ozzy and Motorhead and Black Sabbath. And then um, someone gave me tape and it was Kill Them All on the A side. And it was the first Bathory record on the B side. Wow. Yeah, it's a good tape. And that was yeah. kind of my introduction into uh, like real heavy music. Like really, because, you know, like, like growing up in Sweden, I mean, one of the first – Big shows I went to. I saw Europe play, you know, like mm-hmm. like that kind of uh, and uh, but that really got me into like heavy heavy music. And then you know I discovered all those, like Anthrax and Megadeth and all yeah. this that whole thrash metal scene. And uh, but Metallica was definitely one of the first bands that uh, that I got into that was like violent and, and really aggressive and really heavy.
0: That was such a um, an important uh, phenomenon for so many of us in that era getting tapes that had an A side and a B side where somebody had recorded records for you. Um, yes. And, and the association that that creates your mind for like the rest of your life. Like, cause you probably think about Bathory now when you think about Kill 'Em all and vice yeah. versa, <laughs> you know, um, it's also so a nice bit of serendipity because the guest on the episode prior to yours uh, was Jonas Sarkerland, uh, who of <laughs> course was, you know, the drummer in Bathory at one point and yeah, went on to yeah. direct Metallica videos. Um, so, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. So story. so
2: the, so uh, the next tape I I you know the next tape like that I got so just to understand the, the 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 journey the next tape was like maybe 2 years later. I mean I got tapes in between but the next tape that really shifted everything was 2 years later and on the A side it was Misfits, on the B side it was Chromax. Perfect. That, <laughs> yeah. So that that's a whole new trajectory there. It's just like <clears throat>
0: Yeah my, some, some, yeah my first <laughs> copy of age of quarrel was on one side of a cassette that a friend had made me, and destruction was on the other side so <laughs> yeah.
2: that's a, that's a great that's a great tape yeah and i <laughs> saw i saw Chromax live last night oh in right. wow Valley. yeah yeah yeah
0: you know <laughs> uh, man so i it was a near miss i almost went to that show i had my I had yeah. my little ones last night uh. um, but yeah it's uh, you complete the circle officially everyone I know at the show last <laughs> <time>. <laughs> I watched many Instagram videos at 7 a.m. this morning Wow yeah that's there. amazing so oh, no. uh, in terms of seeing Metallica live uh, when was the first time that happened uh,
2: that's way later I think one of those deals where we're just growing up in isolation there were not a lot of opportunities to see bands uh, like that I mean I had to travel down to Stockholm, which, when you're like 15, I mean it's an hour of flight, but it's a lot of money, or or you can get on the train for like 10 hours. So I didn't I didn't see Metallica until way way later. Uh, but I remember distinctively uh, there was a there another Metallica tidbit. I was I was we there was a radio show every Sunday that played heavy metal, and at that point, I mean you remember in life when All the music that you had was your entire musical universe. So we were listening to this radio show every Sunday because they play like heavy metal and, and, you know, heavy metal and thrash metal. And I remember being at my friend Jen's house. We we started our first band together when they told us that Cliff Burton died. So you remember listening to that and be like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, like just in real time, actually someone telling you on the radio that that happened. That's pretty wild.
0: Yeah, and that was... um. Not only the, the only way that news really traveled, uh, but in that scene in particular where it's not being covered by the mainstream media that would exist at that point, And yeah. where print magazines were, you know, sometimes 30, 60, 90, even 90 days behind in getting yeah. that information to you. Yeah, it was uh, radio shows like that. That's where you were going to discover that sort of moment. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah Cliff had uh, passed away even just a couple months prior when I had discovered the band. So, you know, for me, I think, and certainly like any fan who came afterwards and subsequent generations, you know, he was already sort of this mythical uh, enigmatic sort of lost spirit guide of Metallica. Yeah. Um, And it seems like that, that developed pretty quickly because I remember him, you know, he had legendary status uh, immediately. I mean, from, you know. Like I said, it, I, I discovered the band just a few months later, and it was already like Cliff, you know, was like yeah, yeah. the thing.
2: I mean, I, I was I was lucky enough that I mean, I, I discovered Metallica. Uh, so I mean, I bought Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets when they came out. So I was already like invested in Cliff, and Cliff was the guy that got me into the Misfits because he always had a Misfit shirt on. So Cliff was that guy that kind of like that gateway from, from metal to punk for me. So when when he passed, I was like, that was, that was kind of a, it was a big bummer. And then, uh, I mean, I remember when and Justice For All came out, and that's when I was really like invested in punk and hardcore. And I just remember I bought it, and I was excited, I came home and I put it on. I'm like, now I'm done with this. You know, like when you're young, you're, so, yeah, yeah. you're you're so easy to dismiss things. And you're like, no, I'm done with Metallica now. I'm done with metal. Uh, and then you know, as you roll, you you start retracing. I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I don't think I'm done. You know,
0: like. But it, it's uh, you know. I love having this perspective on the show, honestly, because um, I, I find myself getting into this conversation a lot. Where I remember, you know, still I was a few months away from hardcore, maybe at that time, uh, but I remember going to buy And Justice for All" the day that it came out, and then our little group of you know, a half dozen or so metal heads in our school sitting around the, in the cafeteria the next day talking about how disappointed everyone was. And it was like, you know, "Dyers Eve is the yeah. good song. The rest of the record, it's all slow, um, you know, and <laughs> people who were even just a couple years younger than me, you know, they lose their minds over that and, and, and I'll tell you when this conversation usually happens It's when someone's complaining about uh, the load reload era or, uh, you know, a fan who's a little bit older complaining about the black album, uh, people find it to be sacrilege when I tell them that the same reaction was had to end justice for all, because for so many people, you know, the guys in Avenged Sevenfold, for example, or, uh, you know, Greg from Billinger Escape Plan, even, uh, who's a huge Metallica fan, um, you know, and justice for all is like, uh, an A plus record, you know, which of course it is to me in yeah. retrospect. But it, but it's inter- I like having your perspective on this because what I often tell people is, hey, there were people who, you know, contemporaries at the time, there were fans who hated Ride the Lightning because it had a ballad on it. <laughs> you know, it's like Where's, what happened to Metallica from Kill 'em All. You know, there's a ballad on here, and I, I've become more aware since doing this podcast and you know talking to a lot of people who were part of the scene at that time there were people who complained about kill em all because it wasn't as fast and dark and brutal as uh the no left to leather demo uh, you know so <laughs> <laughs> and as you know of course now with the experience of being uh such a well well renowned musician uh who's been very prolific and had a number of different projects over the years and so on that just comes with the territory of anybody who's yeah, doing yeah. anything of any worth Every chapter, every step of the process, someone's going to say, I don't like this the way that I liked the other thing last time. Yeah. And then the thing that they didn't like this time will inevitably become the thing that they used to like that they're comparing the <laughs> next thing to, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, So yeah. it's, a, I it's mean, fascinating.
2: Always, yeah, we, we always joke about that. We're like, there's there's a hardcore thing. I mean, it's a very hardcore thing to say, like, no, I like the first demo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. guy – to be that guy, like, oh, I like the first demo. But no, I mean, for me, it was like Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. I mean, I love Kill em All, but Ride Lightning and Master of Puppets, they're so complex and they're so, they were so groundbreaking in, in what they did with music. And I mean, yes, Metallica became like a big, like a Ramino rock band with the Black album, but, but the, the crossover that they did with those two records is, is no other bands did that. So, I mean, when, when Injustice for All came out, I mean, looking back at it now it's, it's all right it's got some really cool stuff on it but back then I was like I was a bit disappointed because it didn't have like what's it didn't have like a, uh, the directness of master puppets and, and then, I mean as I said also I think a lot of it was just me being a pumpkin I was into yes. you know I was into hardcore. I was into like minor threat and black flag and then Metallica and justice for like it just riff on riff on riff and riff and yeah and I was, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It's it, yeah. the opposite so, of sort of the, the you know yeah. primal screen yeah. ab- approach of, of that sort of hardcore and punk with, you know, 90 second songs yeah. versus 11 minute songs. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, it, you also yeah. hit upon something that I think often gets overlooked that I think is the key to this type of discussion, not just about Metallica, but about any, any band or, or filmmaker or any artist that you love time, place and circumstance, you know, the, who you were, and what your environment was and the circumstances of your life and everything that was going on, who you were as a person, when you discovered a band or a filmmaker or whomever at a, at a certain point, um, that's going to determine so much about what's yeah. important to you and what uh, what how you felt about the things that came after and how the things that you discovered that had come before. Um, and that's something that I think people tend to, you know, we're all the star of our own movie, so I think we tend to neglect to realize that Uh, how much that shapes our opinions about certain things, you know? Um, And and what becomes even, uh, you know, there's some things that are universally sort of agreed upon that this is an important record and this was an important movement and these were important bands. Uh, But then once you get beyond that just a little bit, it's very, very subjective across, you know, everything, you know? And I'm sure, especially with Refuse, not to mention you know, noise conspiracy, invasion, all the different things you've done. Um, I'm sure you've encountered fans who are so diehard about one particular era. Yeah. And, and yet, uh, you know, sort of lack the self-awareness that that someone else is equally diehard about an era that's completely different.
2: Yeah. You know? it, 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 it's, a, it's a very interesting thing because it's like, uh, you know – as an artist and as a musician, you always move. You're always like, I mean, at least me, I never been, I never been a nostalgic person. I always been kind of moving forward, trying new things, doing new things, and it's interesting that just that thing when someone comes up and like, this is my favorite record. You look at the person you're like, what that one? Really, out of all the records I released, that's your favorite record. But I mean, it was the same for me because when you were a young person, you know. Back in the last century, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as, as I said before, like the records that you owned and the tapes that you own, there's your entire musical universe. So, I mean, I remember being into like getting into like Seven Seconds and songs said, like, oh, Seven Seconds is a good hardcore band, and I bought Ourselves, which is their U <laughs> two record, yeah, and yeah. I was like, I was super confused. I was like, what is this? But I liked it because I could only afford to buy like one record every other week, so I had to listen to it like. 45 times, and get into it. And then, I mean, I remember, like, being a young kid, and, like, I bought, like, ACD, flip of the switch, my first ACD. Just think about that for a while. That's not a great record. (laughs) But in my universe, like, that's, like, wow, that's That's the one. You know, I love ACDC, and then, like, you can't yeah. Like I, had, that, yeah. I, I, and I you get a, a bit I, older I, and you I, hear I, I, direct, oh,
0: wait <laughs> I, I had a similar experience to your seven seconds where um i yeah i was I it was i understood that uniform choice was an important hardcore band, and staring staring into the sun was staring the to, to the sun <laughs> and, and much like you although I was thrown it was sort of like you know at that point, you know I'd invested all of my lunch money that week in that cassette. You know, I, I was going to like it, <laughs> you know, and it's like you, you just, yeah. I could still hum, you know, half of those songs all these years later. Um, it's, it's
2: it's all right. It's not as bad as it's rumor, but it's not, it's not great, but it's not as bad as people put it out to be. But I mean, one of the interesting aspects too, about like being a band like Metallic or, or like Refused or anyone that has done something that, you know, I'm not comparing Refused to Metallic, but no, like when you're true. like, you do something and then you move on, and then let me like like a, a record like let's say let's say master puppets, like that's that's like two years of their life, and it defines them, or I mean even a black album, let's let's say the black album because that's a, the album that made them you know the biggest rock band in the world. That album will forever define who they are. like those the year they took to write that record, that's who they will you know that's what people will compare them to for the rest of whatever they do there's going to be it's not master puppets it's not the black album like whatever they try to do so it's like it's a it's a it's a weird situation to be in as an artist where you're like someone picks out a small part of your life and that's how they're going to define you forever and it's tricky yeah Yeah.
0: And, and it's the same with i mean we could go on a whole tangent about the interpersonal relationships within bands where you know you're married to your high school sweetheart, <laughs> you know, for yeah, 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 and that, yeah. you did, that you didn't, you know, you didn't choose uh, through some like, you know, rigorous vetting process about what it would be like to be entangled with this person for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you didn't realize that was even going to be a thing. Um, yeah. And it, it's interesting. Uh, I remembered in the nineties when the band, uh, you know, showed up with the and shortcuts for all, uh, I had, you know, in my friend group, people that complained about Metallica cutting their hair. My response was always, "You cut yours." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, that's different. Well, how is that different? You know, and it's that thing yeah. where you want the the these these artists that you love to be frozen. Uh, you know, in, and yeah, in exactly. you, you you allow you allow yourself the opportunity to grow and evolve and change and progress and experience new things in life and shed old things and you know, retain certain elements and whatever, but we don't often want to allow that of the uh, artists whose work we admire. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I, I always argue that uh, Metallica in the 90s, for example, and, I also, and certainly this would apply to Metallica of Master of Puppets and every, every era, really. Um, I think they were more true to themselves by being exactly what they were in each particular moment than if they had catered to expectations of, of any part of their fan base, just as in the days of kill em all, they weren't catering to radio or MTV or, what you know, any of the traditional avenues of success for rock bands at the time. And certainly an argument can be made that like a lot of great movements and bands, rather than become mainstream, they forced the mainstream to come to them uh, I would, yeah. I would, I would then say that in the '90s, um, you know, they were getting into Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, and going back to their Thin Lizzy records, and you know, of course, Motorhead was always present. You know, I think that they were more, they were just as true to themselves in the '90s than, than much, certainly much more than if they had been dressing up like they used to look when they were 18. You know, um, and I think even coming back around later, much much like you said, uh, you know, kind of leaving something behind for a while and then rediscovering it almost as a well-rounded person down the road. I feel like that's what they've done musically, you know, like that's. So, like you said, it's um, nostalgia is one thing and nostalgia for its own sake. And then there's something else for I mean, like the simple fact of doing refused as a real band again as opposed to you know just (laughs) doing the reunion victory lap but actually making new music and things like that there's an element of the past but it's colliding with the future otherwise I I think for an artist like yourself it wouldn't be interesting
2: no and I I think it's it's cool because it's like you said something that uh you get entangled with bands or you Mm -hmm. get entangled with music and and that's exactly how I felt with Metallica for a long time because there was such a, like, Metallica, Anthrax, and Slayer. There's so such seminal bands for me, like, in my musical awakening uh, before I became, like, a punk rocker. But those bands, I mean, there's a little bit of time where, like, in the 90s, I didn't really pay attention because I was so invested in what I was doing. But then, like, uh, all those bands, like, whenever they put out a record, I'm like, I'm going to listen, you know, mm-hmm. because you're, you're, there's, like, an investment yeah. into it. Even though you're like not actively a fan of a band, you're still like, well, I'm interested. What are they up to? What are they up to? And there's, there's a feeling within you that you want it to be really good every time, you know? Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's better, and sometimes you're like, oh, this is not what I want to do. But, but also, like what you said, because I'm a huge music nerd, you know this? Like I love records, I collect records, I love music, I love uh, just, just pop culture, music history, so there's that side of me that's sort of like the fanboy of me, but then there's also the musician in me. So when I see like the trajectory of Metallica, I can be like, I get it, I get it. You want it to evolve, you want to try new things, you want to grow, you want to move. But then sometimes the fanboy in me is like, I just want to hear the good stuff. You know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like I, I wrestle with that within myself when I see bands, because I'm like, I, I, I understand your longing to, to progress, and I mean, no one understands that more than me. But then sometimes the fanboy in me is like, why? Play the good song now, please.
0: (laughs) Play the thing that matters the most to me, not the thing that matters the most to you. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas what what we connected with in the first place were these artists who were doing what mattered to them first. And that's sort of what we connected to. Yes, of course. And and we can feel it when that's not the case. And that's what I think is so great about them is even when they're doing something uh you know lulu of course being the the most glaring example of something that's really difficult to connect to i can still appreciate that there uh that it meant something to them in that in that moment you know that they were so so here, to-
2: here so here's my thought yeah. it's the last new Re- weed record ever which is pretty crazy wow. and you know who went you you know who went and bought that on vinyl like two years ago? This guy.
0: <laughs> yes. This guy bought
2: the Lulu that. Lulu vinyl. vinyl owner
0: finally appears on the on the show. <laughs> yeah, because I
2: think it's uh, speaking of being an artist, speaking yes. of taking chances. That record, I mean, it's insane. But I there's something in me that loves that loves that insanity, that loves that like that lack of I uh, I wouldn't say it's lack of self awareness, but there's something that just you know, because that, that record when it came out, people are not into it. And some, yes. yeah. And when something like that happens, that makes me curious. That makes me excited. So I went out and bought it and you know what? You need to tell those people that they need to put it on Spotify. I'm a bit, I'm bummed that it's, you can't find it. Oh, it's not, wow. No, it's not, which is, because I mine's on, uh, it's not open. So it's for the record collection. You know?
0: I mean, I mean, you're Swedish. You should tell Spotify. <laughs> I, I will tell are, Spotify. Are they um,
2: yeah, they are in Sweden. I will tell them. But I think it's metallic. I think they don't want that up there for some reason.
0: You, well, you know what? what's fascinating about <laughs> and it? And it, it's interesting how often Lulu comes up on the show. And, and I'm sure you know listeners will be the first to point out I'm the one who brought it up just now. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I do appreciate the disruptiveness of it. And the sort yes. of, it was very punk rock, sort of no fucks given, yeah. uh, we're going to do, you know, this old German opera or whatever, it just every, every element of it. It w- was, a, a a loud resounding sort of it's art in that sense, you know, yeah. My, my take, and I've said this before, so I'll make it, I'll make it quick, but my take is that I completely understand why they did it. You know, they got connected with Lou Reed through the rock hall performance thing. They did some, you know, velvet songs with them. They got really inspired by him. Somehow that led to collaborating. Somehow that led to an entire album. I think that's all killer. And of course they should have pursued that. I just wish that it had then been put on a shelf somewhere and mothballed until some point when the band is like <laughs> unable to produce new music, you know, yeah, forbid yeah, yeah. someone uh, passes away or, you know, something happens where they're that legend, that, that, uh that icon sort of, you know, from the vaults, here's this. That would have been a great moment to be like, hey, did you know they did this weird art rock thing with Lou Reed? Um, that would have been a cool time to hear it as like a weird curiosity versus here's a here's promo photos of, of the of the of the band.
2: You yeah. Know? I'm just going to say it straight out. That's like the, the thing with like doing a German expressionist play with <laughs> Lou Reed. It yeah. does sound like a refused project. It sounds wow. like yes. something that being yes. refused would do just for the hell of it. So I do. I, I, I do, I'm going on record saying I love Lulu. I think it's a <laughs> bold fucking statement, and I'm yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to back that record. That's just that's I what like I'm going to do from now. Yeah, I'll
0: have to, <laughs> I'll, I'll have to find it because I can't uh, quote it verbatim. But I, I took man, I'll have to find it. Maybe I'll send it to you. I I, I took a picture at Amoeba one day because uh, you know Amoeba, God bless him, still has uh you know the staffers that will write little descriptions oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Little records. notes on the records and yeah. Um, and yeah and there was one on lulu and it said something like lou reed talking over boring metallica jams <laughs> 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 like the last the last sentence of it was pretty much the worst thing ever and oh no like, I, no that was like the week I, that it came out that was like on the on the front of the end cap yeah and i got the punk rock, and especially yeah the dennis from refused i mean if that if that isn't calling your name, I don't know what is.
2: <laughs> it is calling my name, and I I think look, I I've been very fascinated with uh, with when I mean when when great bands do music that's not great, like that's a very fascinating as a musician. That's such a fascinating like concept, like because you have bands that they're great, they're great, they're great, and then all of a sudden a really bad record comes out. Yeah. And I always been fascinated by those records. I, I listen nowadays. Maybe I listen more to the weird records of, of big bands than I listen to the the, the classic records. Because there's something about that uh that weird like intersection between like you know what we're supposed to be and what we want to be and then record labels and then expectations. And and I think I think has definitely one of the best because there's also so much scrutiny, you know, like yeah. like if, if if someone else would have put out that record, I mean, if, even if Lou Reed would have put that that record and it wouldn't be metallic people would be like, yeah, it's just Lou Reed. It's just doing Lou Reed stuff. Yeah.
0: But just because it's metallic it's so like. If you yeah. had put that out as a, co- as a collaboration with Lou Reed, it would have been like, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's <laughs> that. But no, that's seriously. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, and the uh, it reminds me, I often compare a Metallica fandom to Star Wars because it's so intertwined with your life and it's so important and it's so time, place, and circumstance. Everyone, you know, the people who hate this or that, you know, whether it was the prequels, whether it's the post-Disney yeah, stuff, yeah. whatever it is, whatever it is about Star Wars that they hate, they're even louder than the people that love it. Because I know. everyone's paying attention because everyone yeah. loved it so much at some point that they will forever pay attention to everything that yeah. comes out under that banner. Yeah. yeah. And have but that's what, that,
2: it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're so intertwined with something yeah. that you're like, anytime Slayer puts out an album, I'm like, Oh, I have to buy the new Slayer record, I guess, because it's just, you know, and then, uh, you know, most of the times I'm, I'm fine with that, but you know, there, there's so many bands that you just love and you just you want them to be still great then maybe they're not great but you keep kind of coming back for a little bit more yeah. and i think metallica is one of those bands especially like within like the refused crew cuz we're all we're all metal guys like from the beginning mm-hmm. so whenever there's a new metallica i mean they they're like in refused in the dressing room i think we talk about slayer judas priest <laughs> the metallica there are the three things we talk yeah. about the most when we get together. It's yeah. not world politics. It's not feminism. It's like yeah. we talk about these things, you know? And then once in a while, someone talks about Saxon for a while, and then, yeah, you know, where, we, where go pe- to, we go ma- back to. We go back to slavery. imagine
0: slave. you talking about Coltrane and Kierkegaard and, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, Marx and, like, you know. No, no, Gates we talk and about. And <laughs> like painting on an easel or something. Yeah. No, you're talking about Saxon. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Saxon. Thin Lizzie, you know? Yeah. that's
2: Just crazy. what you do, you know? But I think it's also like that's what we find, uh, because that's not not necessarily what we listen to. I think some of the stuff that you said, yeah, that's maybe what we what we're into, what we listen to. But that's our common ground. Yes, that's always where we meet. We're like, if there's there needs to be conversation, we're like. Let's talk about that Metallica clip someone saw, and then that makes the rounds. You know, it's just that's just how I mean, it is.
0: It's like a, a shorthand, <laughs> yeah. I think a dancing, yeah. dancing, and the Misfits, and oh,
2: dancing and comes aid. up in conversation all the time. Yeah, too, yeah. some where it's just, <laughs> and,
0: and and that's the thing too. You know, as someone who didn't grow up into sports and never followed, uh, you know, professional sports or college sports or any of that sort of thing. I finally understood sports fandom when I applied it to Metallica fandom day where it was like, oh, I see when, you know, when people are like, I love the Chicago Bears, but it's only the 1985 Chicago Bears that I love. And I complain about the coach this year and I complain about the (laughs) court, you know, like I understood that's that same type of love where you can, uh, you know, be so upset about like an outfit that somebody from the band was wearing in a picture or, or whatever it is, but it's from this twisted place of love because you know it's that thing where it's like you can complain about your dad but if somebody else says something about your dad you're like i'm gonna kick your ass you know (laughs) it's like that that (laughs) family sort of uh ownership i think it is it is is, for sure yeah (laughs) do you remember i have a, a, a strangely vivid memory from the late 90s uh i believe it was the late 90s um watching something on mtv called the return of the rock And it was a a brief moment in time when everyone was declaring the return of the rock right around the late nineties, early two thousands. And it was a show that was hosted by Lars and they played, of course, the big refused video that was, uh, you know, for those of us who were refused fans, that was so frustratingly, you know, the posthumous fame that the band achieved. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, now this happens. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and 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 knowing enough about television now and, and MTV even specifically, uh, where I would uh, where I was working not not long after, um, you know I'm sure Lars was in a room with uh, you know a crew and obviously as a kid you you imagine when someone's hosting a video show that they're sitting watching all the videos you know what I mean <laughs> like uh, or radio DJs for that matter that they're like present for the whole show like queuing up every record and that's not always the case, uh, but with that being said. When they cut back from the Refused video for a sort of the reaction moment, um, I remember Lars saying very complimentary things about Refused and how, like, into that song and that video he was. And for me, as someone, especially at that point in my adult life, where Metallica had been such an important part of my journey and I was such a huge fan, and then was also pretty, you know, you know, a 20-something veteran of the hardcore scene at that point. Um <laughs> And that was like a really important sort of uh convergence for me, you know, like to, to see like someone from Metallica recognize something from this other part of my world you know it was just a really like a uh, invigorating sort of moment of like worlds colliding uh, which brings me to yes what was your first uh, awareness acknowledgement that Metallica knew you existed uh
2: I think that TV show someone you know, someone sent me like a, like a letter about, I mean, it's a letter, so it's like late 90s probably, but someone wrote to me about that, saying that, oh, they, they showed it on MTV or something, Laura, so, you know, they're, they're, they're playing, you know, so I, 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 but I mean, as you said, then you're like, okay, but it's he's just, you know, the host, but then um, Kirk Hammett did like an interview where he talked about how much he loved Refuse. And that kind of blew my mind. That was like, you know, as I said, like I I, I was such a young kid when, when I got into Kill 'Em All and all those th- early stuff. And then Kirk, Kirk be like, oh, you know, when we did Saint Anchor, I was listening to Refused every day, and I'm like, that's in my mind, that's pretty, that's pretty insane, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is insane on so many levels. Yeah, yeah, it, it, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I know it, at different points. You know, I'm sure you know, you've shared festival bills and things like that uh, What was the first occasion you had of, of meeting anyone from the band?
2: We played a uh, noise conspiracy play a show in Spain in outside of Bilbao just this could be like You know 12 13 14 years ago and no, uh, it was us on the main stage right before Metallica and and uh, I remember just, like, being backstage. I mean, they all have their security guys. But then I, I walked up to Kirk, and I'm like, hey, I'm Dennis from Refused and Noise Conspiracy. And uh, I knew he knew about Refused, but then he started singing, like, a Noise Conspiracy song to me.
1: Wow. And I was like,
2: whoa, what's happening? And then when we played, like, Kirk was on the side of the stage, and then... Uh, when they played, they they asked. I asked him, like, can we like what? Do you, can we see the Metallica show? And he's like, oh, you can be on stage. I'll tell my like, tour manager. And uh, so that was the first time I met I met Kirk. And uh, the show was great. They they Master proper from start to finish. Oh,
0: okay, which, yeah. You know, yeah. So as was him, that I era, said,
2: yeah. I was like, old music nerd that made me very happy. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. That was the first time I met. Him. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna guess that was 2006 or seven somewhere around there. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. The- yeah. Because I went to I went to download uh, with Throwdown, and they were on uh, the same year as Metallica, and Metallica was doing the Master of Puppets front to back extravaganza yeah. at that time. And yeah, an amazing show, so amazing. Yes. So taking us a bit forward, of course, uh, the thing that initially inspired me to um, seek you out for the show specifically was, of course, the Polar Music Prize um and that whole <laughs> performance and you know i'm sure i'll set that up in the intro so we don't we don't have to necessarily lay down the tracks for that but um tell me how you came to be involved and and uh, how the you know song was chosen and the collaborators were cho- all of that like give me the whole the whole story from <laughs> from start to finish basically.
2: well yes well, well the start is that every year there's a huge music award ceremony called the polar music award and they give it out to like a pretty like big artists. They, they, it's not niche, it's very like, you know, like Paul Simon, like big artists get it. And, and Metallica got it last year. And uh, then they have like this big gala dinner with like the Swedish king is there and yes. like all oh, the world, the royal family and like, like a who's who, like the uh, creme de la creme of the Swedish music elite. And uh, and then they have a bunch of Swedish artists doing covers of, uh, you know, these, the, the, the winner. And and they called me and they were like, Do you have a relationship to Metallica? I'm like, Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I told him what kind of what we've been talking about. And then he said, Do you want to sing a Metallica song at this Polar Music Award? And I was like, Oh, yeah. And I was like, You know, like that's kind of a crazy thing to do. And then they said, Mickey D's playing drums. (laughs) Yes. And then I said, uh, Mickey D from Motorhead, I will do a song with him. Yes, of course. Uh, And and then I, I was like, they started like lobbying like uh, nothing else matters. And I'm like, no. And, and also what we talked about, I said, I want to do something of the early stuff because that's, for me, that's like the groundbreaking stuff that kind of defined what Metallica became. And then Mickey D just said, we're going to do Whiplash. And then I said, yes, we are. So like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's how, that's how that happened. And then they did this thing. So it's just like a guy that played a cello mm-hmm. and it's just me Mickey D. So it's a bit of a weird, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit weird put together, but it worked out really well. And the cello player uh, played bass with Ingram Malmsteen at one point. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. He's, 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 yeah, he's yeah, a real deal. Yeah,
0: of course, Mickey D. In addition to Motorhead, I you know I always think of uh, stuff with King Diamond in particular. Yes, that drum course. fill intro to Welcome Home is probably you know if you were to put a gun to my head and say like name a drum intro you can remember you know, like, yeah. that's the number one that's going to come up. at <laughs> the beginning of that song. Yeah. Um, and no, he, he was great. And then
2: uh, I, I'll tell you, so the first time, this is going to be the first time I tell this story on air. It's one of my favorite stories yes. to tell just in general. So in the 90s, uh, Refuse did a tour in Sweden with Entombe, like the metal band Entombe. It's mm-hmm. yes, great, great tour. And we're in Gothenburg playing uh, at a record store like, you know the same day we're playing the show and a friend of ours uh mickey d comes to the record store and a friend of ours says you know mickey these are the guys from refused they're playing a show with a tune later tonight maybe you should come down and hang out and me and david were super excited we just to be like it's mickey d from king diamond it's mickey D from motorhead as so well like, and uh mickey d says i'll come on down we'll have a beers and our friend these guys don't create fear. And Mickey D does this. He just looks at us and walks away. <laughs> just walks away. It's like the best thing ever. And me and Dave were like, that's amazing. He was just like, he, 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 he like, he looked like he was like, I had no idea what you just said. And then yeah. he just walked off. Yeah. So I haven't seen Mickey D since. this. And this is like, <laughs> you know, whatever, 90, 95, or 96. So he walks in and he's like, you know, we start chatting up and I'm like, you know, I, you know, talking about me. I don't think he it's fully knows about refuse and everything. But we start chatting, and I tell him this story. And Nikki looks at me. He's like, "It's a very reasonable response, wouldn't you say?" What else would I have <laughs> done? And I'm like, and then he's just he's just awesome. And then every time when we practice, he looks at me. He's like, "Now we're gonna go grab a beer." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just Nikki." So he, you know, it was fantastic. He's such a sweetheart. And such a good drummer, such a nice guy. It was, uh, it was kind That's of so amazing. a he's very what, surreal. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's one of those characters you want that experience with, you know? Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah hearing <laughs> that hearing that for him was like someone just told him you were all from another dimension.
2: And he's just exactly. like, okay, yeah. He was like, he's like, I don't know what to do with this information. I'm just going to leave. It was <laughs> yeah. fucking oh, fun. These actually
0: yeah. aren't human beings. These are mannequins. Oh, okay. I don't know yeah, how, exactly. how to interact yeah. with those, so.
2: No, he was great. And, and I mean, it was a surreal thing. Like, we played, a, and it's like, I mean, uh, Lars was there, and Rob was there, and we do Whiplash. And I mean, we were supposed to be in the, the middle of the set because like, this is like live on Swedish television. Yeah. It's a big thing. It's not like, you know, it's like a show. It's like, it's a whole Swedish television. It's like a two-hour gala. Like, fucking the Swedish king is there, the queen is there, the fucking whole royal family. And, um, and we do our sound checks. And the producer comes up and they're like, I think you have to finish the show. This is too powerful. Oh, wow. <laughs> and me, me and Nick just like, yes, that's, that's what we need. Yes. And uh, we do the show and, like, get a standing ovation from the Swedish king, which is it's a bit – I yeah.
0: saw that. That's insane. Yeah. And, saw, <laughs> and, and seeing how enthusiastic Lars and, and Rob were, especially because, you know, it's this, like, prestigious black tie – gala as you said yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and to see uh you know lars's wife and all these different people they were cutting to with the camera who were super into your performance and you know yeah. as someone who you know Candlemass mass is one of my favorite bands of all time and oh some, yeah, yeah you know a couple of the guys from Candlemass mass uh doing inner sandman with ghost and I, I loved the reinterpretations of the songs that that happened in particular you guys doing whiplash with uh, accompanied by cello um yeah. <laughs> it sounds so full and heavy you know i yeah it, I would think that's a punk band where maybe the guitars are on the clean channel. Uh, But other than that, you know, it was just like, it's, it was just as visceral. And I I really thought it was fun in that, in that environment.
2: Yeah, it was. It was pretty, it was pretty wild. I mean, it's just like, I mean, you know, me also when how I perform
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's like just to, to perform that way in front of that, like the, the black <laughs> yeah. tie crowd. Yeah. And I was, I have to say it. I was really nervous. I I was kind of nerve wracking out like this is just, but then when you walk up there and I grab the microphone and just, I just go for it. And uh, man, I think, I think that energy, like. A lot of people didn't know what to do with that NG in that room. They're just like, who is this person? <laughs> like, yeah. why is he so crazy, you know? <laughs> wow. But that was great. And then uh, then after the show, I, I hung out with Robert and Lars and their sweethearts. And, yeah, it was good.
0: Gosh, they, and they had to just be on cloud nine the whole time because knowing how much – knowing that deep purple means about as much to Lars oh, as Metallica yeah. <laughs> means to us, you know, and that those guys were, you know, presenting yeah, for yeah, them yeah. and all of that. Had, what a special night that had to be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and knowing that those guys are an admirer of yours and you aren't. And of course, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't discuss for a moment the amazing, uh, you know, again, speaking of convergence of, of worlds colliding, uh, someone who, at least in popular culture anyway, is renowned as an outspoken uh, adherent to revolutionary politics and ideas to be doing your thing and, and thrashing all about, so to speak, in front of the monarch of your country, um, you know, a ceremonial <laughs> position or not, it's still, you know, you're you're doing whiplash with Mickey D. It's Dennis from Refused. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's international noise conspiracy. It's radical politics, and the king of Sweden is seated at a table, and gives you yeah. a standing ovation. I mean, it's just, there's just so many elements to that that are just. Yeah, that that whole night
2: was very surreal. There's a like after the after we done the show and there's like an after party and there's like a VIP room. We're hanging out and and this guy comes up to me and he has like the the royal emblem on his coat mm-hmm. and, and and he he he's like uh, he comes up and he's like, oh, I love refused and you know like in the nineties I grew up listening to you and and now I work as a personal assistant for the queen. <laughs> and, and I'm like I'm like how do you go from like Loving, refused, and being into like the ideas that we are, that we have, and then you you work for the queen. He's like, oh you know, life. And then he said, which is that blew my mind. He's like, he's like, a, Her Majesty. Tonight there's going to be a, a musician called Dennis, and it's going to be loud and crazy. So maybe <laughs> you have to have it, it feel like earplugs. So uh, he's talking to the Queen of Sweden about me yeah. before the show. I was like, that's just insane. So it was, it was one of those nights that just like i'll keep telling you stories for a long time (laughs) of course yeah and
0: you know and it it speaks a lot to the transformative uh Mm -hmm. and universal power of of music where you know the medium is the message and so on and of course so many amazing ideas across so many different genres get communicated and exchanged and people take bits and pieces from it And, and it's i think a humbling sort of reminder for people like us who have oftentimes put such an emphasis on the importance of a specific ideological viewpoint, maybe that we're, we want to communicate or whatever. um, It's a little humbling to remember like, yeah, sometimes it's just somebody was just moved by the power and passion and and art of something. And and that's okay. You know, I don't quite understand that you didn't seem to fully grasp what was being presented (laughs) here, but, but, but something, Life-changing and important happen for you. Even yeah. if it wasn't, you know, at a certain yeah. point, it's not yours anymore. You know, it's like you no, handed no. it off.
2: And I and I think that's a cool thing about being an artist and a musician that uh, you have all these ideas, and you have maybe even have an agenda. You're like, oh, this is what I want to do with my music. These are the ideas I want to get across. But at the end of the day, like when you go a and perform, or when you put out a record not up to me how people will perceive it it's not up to me what people would like about my music i mean some people come to our shows and like oh it's just good energy i don't care about the politics or some people come to shows like i just like the politics i don't care about this music and right. it's it's a it's a cool thing that that like you just have to let that go and be like people will take whatever they need from what you give them and you can't dictate what you're going to give them and i think it's a beautiful thing
0: a great summary of, of everything. Yeah, and I always think about bands like 108 and Shelter or, or Earth Crisis or bands that had such a specific thing where everyone in, in the room wasn't a, <laughs> a Krishna devotee, you know? But yeah, they were all nope. passionately singing along, so there was something there yeah. that was going beyond the... Yeah,
2: but, then, but then, uh, then also as you grow older, I think it's just like you grow older and, like, these divides. I mean, in the 90s, hardcore was so it was so full of clicks and like ideas yeah. and then you go old and you're know, like maybe that's not where i need to focus my energy on and yeah. be angry about like you know like those guys and i think it's like you loosen up a little bit and, and you pick your battles in a way that that's more constructive i mean we can still be you know radical still be revolutionary but we can also make sure that we're not that guy that just goes in the room and like fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. But you can actually be like like a, a human being that functions together with other people. And I think that's that's something you learn. I mean, I think that the '90s hardcore was important because it was so it was so angry, it was so fractionalized and angry and crazy. And looking back at it now, I'm like, wow, there's so much, so many crazy stories. I was. Um, I was in New York the other day and I had dinner with Mani from Race I was, Trader. I
0: swear to God, I was just thinking about him
2: Yeah, two seconds and, and ago f- as you
0: were talking. Yeah. yeah,
2: and he was telling these stories when they played Fest with Race Trader. And I'm like – because, I mean, we missed out on a bit of that in Sweden. Yeah. But just the stories he was yeah, telling. They, they, like, they would I can't they would believe this is happening. 90 seconds
0: yeah. and then there would be like a 15-minute argument. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know. On stage. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And And he said, uh, what
2: band was that? One of those other bands that they, they had a microphone in the crowd so people could just interact. And I'm like, that's so crazy. Why do you yeah. want that? Yeah. And and he was telling me all these stories. He's like one of my, he's a very dear friend of mine, but of it was just like, yeah, me too. yeah, all these crazy stories about like the nineties and like how they, you know, like, and I mean, now, uh, 108 is playing in New York and Race Trade is playing with them.
1: Yes, yeah, they're, that, up, they're that, going that, to open up. And I'm like, yeah. that's
2: insane. That's so cool. Because yeah. in the 90s, that would have been, you know, that's different worlds. You know, so I, yeah. I, I love and that. Like and that. that's what's
0: great is that I think <laughs> it, it all sort of came out in the wash where all these years later, you know, a bill like that actually makes sense, you yeah, know. Sort of. In, a way. <laughs> in, in, in the sense that what the important elements, like we've been discussing about those, move, those movements that seem so disparate. how they actually come together you know what i mean like what what actually made sense about them or yeah and the idea that um you know some of the guys from race trader could go on to do a band like fallout boy and rather than (laughs) rather than look at it as incongruous it's it's so much more beautiful when you consider it as part of a fuller wider picture of what it means to be an artist and what it means to be a human being and the fact that you know um i love 90s action films yeah (laughs) it doesn't doesn't mean that i'm not going to respond to like a german expressionist movie or a comedy you know what i mean it's like i'm not i'm not just only 90s action movies every other movie sucks (laughs) you know it's kind of ridiculous that we would limit ourselves that way uh you know with we're not no we're not as
2: one-dimensional as uh, i mean some people might be but i mean i've never been a one-dimensional person so it's always been like i just want to do things i just want to live and i think that also when you when you Grow I mean, I think this Polar Music Award thing that I did 10 years ago, I've never done that. Of course. But now I'm just like, oh, that sounds fun. Let's try this. And, yeah. you know, I've, d- I've done some weird stuff b- just because I'm like, that sounds fun. You know, I'm living, just try fun stuff. And then you can backtrack and be like, that was not a good idea. But at least <laughs> we tried it, you know. So.
0: Yes. And at least we tried it. And, and I also, I love the idea for something like that. The fact that you have the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> almost was the, the reason for doing it. You know what I mean? Like the fact yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that it's like, it it would have, it would have happened without you. So the fact that it could happen with you, it's like, well, why not see what sort of spark, you know, what could yeah, happen? Yeah. And maybe, it, maybe it just is what it is, or maybe something yeah. exciting happened. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I think those opportunities, uh, for someone like yourself at this stage in your career, especially are to be seized upon. And it's so far removed from, yes. You know, back in the day when it would be like, "Hey, do you want this refuse song to be in a Pepsi commercial?" It's like, "No, of course not." But that's yeah. so. So <laughs> many things have changed in so many ways. You know what I mean? And the opportunity to I do know, something I like know. you did in front of the king and queen is uh, so different than what our notions of of compromise were you know back in the day that's not a compromise that's like a radical it's i i could easily make the argument from the other side that it's radical as fuck that dennis (laughs) was doing whiplash over a cello with mickey d you know
2: yeah but it but it's as you said before too with with like metallica you got to stay true to what you want to do yes and then you know it's just like i want to do this and then someone like why are you doing this like just because i want to that sometimes i mean and sometimes you have an agenda and sometimes like this is what we want to do and then with big decisions, you have to be like, I mean, we, we have to think about all the parameters. But then sometimes you just want to do stuff. You know, yeah, you just want. And then that was one of those things where, like, they asked me, I'm like, well, I love Metallica. So why not just do this? It was good times.
0: Hell yeah. And saying no yeah. would be less true to yourself as an artist yeah, yeah, as a human yeah, yeah. if you were yeah. saying no because of some preconceived notion of, of an idea someone else has about what you should and shouldn't yeah. do. You know, That's never been the point from day one. If you'd like to see that performance in full from the Polar Music Prize celebration, which I highly recommend, as well as all the other performances from that night, go to the Speak and Destroy YouTube channel, where we're curating all sorts of playlists of Metallica-related content. One of the playlists is called Bands Covering Metallica, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It includes Pantera doing No Remorse back in 1988... Pantera doing Whiplash with Dimebag Daryl on vocals and Jason Newstead on bass. Pantera doing Seek and Destroy with Jason Newstead. Megadeth doing Phantom Lord with Jason Newstead. Death Angel with Kirk Hammett doing Trapped Under Ice at Kirk's Fear Festival. Portugal the Man doing For Whom the Bell Tolls. Machine Head doing Battery. Anthrax doing Sanitarium. Testament doing Seek and Destroy, Dark Angel, Motorhead, Disturbed, Korn, Dream Theater, Napalm Death, Vader, Blue Oyster Cult, Holocaust, Mastodon, Chimera, even Nickelback. There's 55 of those collected in that playlist in total so far. There's another playlist on our YouTube channel called Metallica Cover Them All, which has 93 videos. Which is Metallica doing cover songs, exactly as it sounds, and I've even... Uh, <laughs> Thanks to my OCD, I suppose, I've arranged them in chronological order. So it starts with Killing Time from their 1982 audition tape for the Whiskey A Go-Go, then runs through Sucking My Love, The Prince, recorded live in San Francisco in 82, Am I Evil, The Money Will Roll Right In, Blitzkrieg, The Peanuts Theme, Crash Course and Brain Surgery, Dazed and Confused, Prowler, and Run to the Hills, La Bamba, "Breadfan." Metallica doing Am I Evil and Helpless with guys from Diamond Head, James Hetfield doing Stone Cold Crazy with Tony Iommi and Queen Metallica with Speak and Destroy Guest Animal from Anti-Nowhere League doing So What. Lars sitting in with Merciful Fate. Rob Halford doing Rapid Fire with the band. Danzig doing Misfit Songs back in the 90s. Some stuff from Lemmy's 50th Birthday Party where Metallica performed as the Lemmy's. On and on and on and on. Like I said, there's 93 of those. And counting. There's also playlists called Cover em All, The Originals, where you can hear the original versions from the original bands of a lot of songs that Metallica fans are familiar with via their covers. That includes a bunch of stuff from Diamond Head. Savage, Blitzkrieg, The Misfits, Fang, Holocaust, Killing Joke, Budgie, Queen, Anti-Nowhere League, Sweet Savage, Deep Purple, Motorhead, Discharge, Black Sabbath, Nick Cave, and on and on and on. You can head over to SpeakAndDestroy.com to find our YouTube channel and follow SpeakAndDestroy on social media. And please, this is the part of the show where I will implore you, if you like this podcast, the best thing you can do for us right now is to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and a nice little review. Make sure to check out past episodes with guests like M. Shadows, David Ellefson, Rob Flynn, Blasco, Andreas Kisser, Lizzie Hale, Jamie Josta, and more. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out our sister show, No Prize From God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Guests have included folks from Killswitch Engage, Emperor, Integrity, Alter Bridge, Demon Hunter, Under Oath, and many, many more. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey on Instagram at SuperheroHQ, and on the World Wide Web at RyanJDowney.com. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.